Of course, this is a show that talks about price of Bitcoin and where tech stocks are going, but actually, that's the wrong show. <laughs> Welcome to The Green Room. We're here with Disrupt TV, and uh, we've got some wonderful guests today. Um, we're going to go in reverse order and introduce our guests and ask them where they're calling in from and, of course, you know what they're talking about real quickly. So, Mike, where are you calling in from and what are we talking about today? Hey, Ray, thanks for having me. I'm calling in from Naperville, Illinois, and going to be sharing a little bit about our uh, experience with how blockchain showing up in big established uh, organizations that used to be skeptical and now they're starting to starting to catch wind of what it what it can help them with. Ah, this can be an interesting theme throughout. Very cool. Adam, where are you calling in from? What are we talking about today? Hey, I'm calling in from Somerset, New Jersey, about an hour outside New York City. And we're going to be talking about Arculus and how it can help secure in, in the industry digital assets and digital identities and how you should be the root of trust. Hmm, interesting theme here. Daniela, what are we talking about today? Where are you calling in from? Hey, Ray, Vala, nice to see you both. Um, uh, I am calling in from Pacifica, California, just south of San Francisco, where we got the ability to walk to the beach and take a quick ride to uh, San Francisco, Silicon Valley. So uh, it's great to be out here. Uh, today, I'm going to talk a bit about you know what we've done over the last six years here at the Hyperledger Foundation uh, to help with those skeptics that Mike is talking about um, in really understanding why blockchain and how blockchain for enterprise use cases. So very excited about being here. Very, very cool. Well, hell, you're L, take it, take it over from here. And uh, thanks a lot. We'll guess we'll see you guys on the show. So. All right. Three, two, Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, our distinguished guests, your questions live at Disrupt TV. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World, Surviving and Thriving in the World of Digital Giants. Ray's a regular television business and technology news contributor on Fox Business, United Finance, CNBC, and Wall Street Journal. He's a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with Vala Ashtar, the Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of The Pursuit of Social Business Excellence. I normally carry that with me, but I don't have it with me today. Executives around the world pay attention to every one of his inspirational, insightful tweets. Um, when he's not hosting, keynoting, or leading events at Salesforce, you can find him at business outlets like Bloomberg and, of course, writing his insightful and, of course, inspirational thoughts on ZDNet. So, but who do we have today? It seems like we've got an interesting theme going on here. We have an incredible theme and an incredible first guest, Daniela Barbosa serves as general manager of blockchain, healthcare, and identity at the Linux Foundation, is also executive director of Hyperledger Foundation, 
mid overall strategic operational responsibilities for staff, programs, expansion, and execution of Hyperledger's mission. Daniela has more than 20 years of enterprise technology experience. She started at five, including <laughs> serving for four years at Hyperledger Foundation's mm-hmm. Vice President of Worldwide Alliances and responsible for the member community as well as broader industry and business community outreach and overall network growth. Daniela became involved in the early Web2 community, helping advance the concept of digital identity and data portability as the pathway for people to reuse their data across interoperable applications. You can follow Daniela on Twitter at Daniela Barbosa, B-A-R-B-O-S-A. Welcome, Daniela, to Disrupt TV. Thank you. It's so nice to be here with you, Ray and Vala. And, you know, honestly, I think we first met back in the heyday of Web 2.0. So pretty interesting that we're back online in Web 3.0 and talking about what's happening in the ecosystem. So it's, it's fantastic. I watched Disrupt TV and read uh, Ray's book, of course, um, and uh, it's fantastic to be here. <laughs> you know, there's never been a more exciting time to be here. And, you know, one of the things that's going on is the shifts, right? And you're right, the Web 3.0 underpinnings, the world's heading into decentralization. We're moving to something we call the great refactoring. But speaking about great refactorings, congratulations are in order here. Um, There's been some changes to the name of the foundation, to what's been going on, your new role. Let's start there. Tell us a little bit about what's happening and uh, what's going on. Sure. You know, as many of you know, Hyperledger for the last six years has really been building what I like to say, building the market that we're going to be talking about today with all our guests, right? Getting the enterprises, understanding what blockchain technology is and why it is. Um, I personally have been here for about four and a half years. Uh, prior to me, Brian, uh, Brian Bellendorf has uh, led the Hyperledger community um, here at the Linux Foundation. And uh, for the last four and a half years, I was by his side, um, helping lead our, our member community and our open source community worldwide. Um, You know, what we've seen really is the growth of our community, not only in the number of developers and end users that are using these technologies, but really the expansion of how these technologies are now being used for corporate enterprises, government use cases, and more. Um, And when the market was young in 2016, when Hyperledger first launched, um, we spent and we continue to spend a lot of time educating the market on what these technologies mean, and more importantly, why open source and open governance really matters Um, as part of this new infrastructure and these new platforms that we're building out. So we spent a lot of of our early days talking about different industries, you know, healthcare, banking, public sector. And now we're really seeing a lot of the implementations of these technologies. Um, Some of it is not so sexy, you know, and I, you know, like, you know, it's stuff like back, you know, back office invoicing or commission management or, you know, supply chain and trade finance. It's not, you know, some NFT with some hip hop, uh, you know, theme around it. But the reality is that these technologies are being used. Um, And I believe that, you know, Hyperledger has really had a lot of impact on the industry in what's going on with digital assets, digital identity, and more. So in the last year, we've really been working with our community to understand what is Hyperledger greater than just one project, greater than just one technology stack, right? What is it that we are? So the Hyperledger Foundation was a way for us to really talk about that um, that shift or, you know, what we see as a conversions as well on what's happening in the blockchain space in the permission private uh, blockchain um, space to the permissionless and how, you know, the continuum, right, is uh, very, uh, today I say that 
the 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 on the side of the private permissioned uh, folks are moving to the center, and the public permissions have to move into the center as well. So for here, for at the Hyperledger Foundation, we're no longer just about one project. You know, in 2016, uh, it was one major DLT framework the fabric project, right? And that quickly gained market um, uh, adoption. It was followed by Sawtooth, right? Which had this unique pluggable consensus mechanism, which is called proof of elapsed time. You know, all this talk about proof of work versus proof of stake. You know, our community has been working on these things for many, many years. And we have some of the, you know, blockchain experts in the world really innovating and working there. So, you know, 2016, 2017, we saw all these developer communities, enterprise come together, start working on these projects, um, really designing, um, you know, and both of you know, from the Web 2.0 space, you know, Internet identity uh, was um, was really uh, an important aspect of it, right? Um, privacy, privacy by design. So our community here at Hyperledger has really been working on that. We have projects that are focused on identity with the Hyperledger Indie project uh, that later, that's a, a DLT framework that later in uh, last year, we just announced uh, Aries project that went into 1.0 and that's a shared reusable toolkit focused on transmitting and storing verifiable digital credentials. Why is that important? Because you know what? In today's world, we have this concept of wallops. So our, our community has really been building these technologies um, with a focus on privacy by design. And I can really go on and on and on. Um, and I'd like to you know, dig into some more of those examples as we go through this um, to give you that. But the foundation is bigger than one project. It's bigger than one community. And it's really you know, the core place where I believe we have educated the market around using blockchain technologies for the future, future infrastructure that we're building um, out today. Amazing, amazing progress. And absolutely, you've been in the forefront. For our audience watching, Hyperledger Foundation is an open source community focused on develop, developing suites of stable frameworks, tools, and libraries for enterprise grade mm -hmm. blockchain deployment, deployments. So it's mm -hmm. global collaboration hosted by the Linux Foundation. And it includes uh, leaders in multiple sectors, uh, finance, banking, internet of things, supply chain, manufacturing, and technology. Mm -hmm. So an incredible group of business leaders and technologists trying to really create this incredible, um, scalable, uh, uh, reusable framework. Mm -hmm. it, it's been about seven years, I believe, in terms of the blockchain era. And you mentioned you know, some examples. Are there particular sectors that are champions leading this you know, transformation and adoption of blockchain technologies. Can you give us some specific examples that that uh, that we could share with our audience? Sure. You know, we continue to see because a, a big play is efficiency, right? Yeah, <laughs> and sure. efficiency and automation, right? And it's one of the things that, you know, is most exciting is when people start talking about efficient automation. I remember my first presentation when I first joined the Hyperledger, uh, Hyperledger in 2017 was about uh, a farmer in the Sacramento Valley here in California. Um, talking about how that farmer could, you know, go into a relationship with the insurance provider or insurance consortium. And because due to drought, um, they could essentially use smart contracts to get paid out more efficiently. And, um, you know, um, wow. you know, really from a trustless perspective, that was 2017. The, the, uh, the drought in California is way worse today in 2022. Um, and some of these things are now actually being built, right? So really 
really creating um, some of those uh, projects, I think, are important. I mean, here at the Linux Foundation, even beyond the Hyperledger Foundation, we have other projects that, as general manager for blockchain, healthcare, and identity, I also look after, that are really focused on those use cases. So, for example, there is a new project we launched last year called OpenIDL, which is an insurance regulatory data framework uh, network. So it's an actual network for insurance carriers. And we have some of the biggest insurance carriers um, in, the, in North America already working on this project, including the, the Hartford and Hanover and Travelers, alongside with the state regulators, the state regulator commissioners, the state of uh, Virginia, the state of Mississippi, the state of North Carolina, hmm. on regulatory reporting in uh, permissioned but public blockchain as well. So we're starting to see that. So insurance, healthcare, um, supply chain, trade finance. I mean, the work that some of the trade finance um, supply chain networks out there have been working on uh, with WeTrade and TradeLens. So WeTrade is based out of Europe, has about 18 different banks that are participating in that. The goal, you know, and uh, the goal is really to get the payment, right, to those supply chain and to those manufacturers and to those, you know, from farming or agriculture perspective much faster. So we're starting to see um, a lot of those use cases, um, not only in production, but in years of production. You know, in 2018, Circular, it's one of my favorite use cases. Um, Circular, it's a company based out of the UK that does um, sustainability uh, supply chain uh, for complex uh, supply chains like minerals, for example, tantalum mm -hmm. that all our, our phones and uh, devices have, right? Um, not only is do people need to see how that's sustainable and there's, there's regulatory requirements to mine those sure. minerals from a sustainability perspective, that's all being tracked using blockchain. And in Circular's case with Hyperledger Fabric as well, and the social impact of those things, right? Because if you think about mining in, you know, in certain markets, there are slaves and people are always getting you're like, oh, don't say the word slave. The bottom line is in those regions, there are slaves mining those minerals for us. So how can we, from a social impact perspective, use blockchain for that use as well? Um, so lots of great stories um, that we've seen. Um, and, you know, on our website, I'll plug it at the hyperledger.org website, there's case studies of it. And one of the things I promise after today's disrupt show is I will put some really fantastic links out on my LinkedIn profile. So go look awesome. at it. I'll put it on Twitter because uh, it's amazing. It's amazing the work that our community here at the foundation has been doing. Daniel, just a quick follow-up and without getting into the specific politics of it, given the instabilities that are happening in the East right now, mm -hmm. and you're talking about agriculture and payments and farmers, do you think what's happening right now will actually massively turbocharge adoption of blockchain because of the need to be able to you know, uh, make sure that you know, individuals are properly paid on time for their efforts and work? It's all incremental gains, right? So two years ago, you know, in March of 2020, actually, it was the last time our Hyperledger community got together in person in Phoenix. What happened the week after March 14, March 4th, uh, actually one year ago Shut today? Shut down, yeah. We all, right? And we all said, hey, you know what? We have technology that can help with a lot of this, with the testing, with the notifications, COVID notifications, sure. with the verifications and vaccines. And you know what? A lot of work that's being done specifically on digital identity and privacy preserving methods to do that has 
accelerated because of those requirements that the market has. So Vala, absolutely. I think as these things change, as the use cases of what the technology is good for mm-hmm. are noticed and seen, we will see acceleration. But we're still pretty early. I mean, sure. you know, let's be realistic is that, you know, where this is a 20 year plus yeah you know, technology adoption market. And our goal, and we've always said that, is at one point we will stop talking about blockchain and actually say, hey, this is just core technology and infrastructure. And these are the protocols that run um, the the future of of the network. So um, yes, and I'm here for it, Bella. Absolutely. (laughs) Makes a lot of sense, right? And and you're right. We're in the seventh year of blockchain. Uh, I remember having those conversations seven years ago. I remember uh, being out in Davos and other places where these conversations were taking place. Uh, Mm -hmm. And Thinking like, God, where is this? We'd all be adopting it by now. And these are 20-year runs. Um, now add the context and the construct of NFTs, Web 3.0, the metaverse economy, DAOs, right? It's getting even more interesting. Talk a little bit about that and talk about how this is shaping, you know, the future goals of where the, you know, the Hyperledger Foundation is headed. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, and and I'll hit kind of uh, uh, the three biggies, um, or there's more than three, because this is, once again, it's work that the Hyperledger Foundation and our community, right? I mean, the foundation, we're, we're, we're a handful of staff members. We're really about our community and the developers and the market leaders who are building using this technology and talking about it across you know, many sectors. So, you know, things that we've seen change from the 2016 and, you know, and right, you know, blockchain has been around for way more than seven years, right? If we're just thinking in the constructs of the Hyperledger Foundation, um, before that, people were working on this technology in the enterprises and in government agencies way before. And many of us were there as well, right, from a across digital identity or. Are you, are you Satoshi? What was that? <laughs> Real quick, are you Satoshi? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, no, I'm not. You know, I know her. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> One of the things that we've also seen, right, is in the beginning for us, you know, seven years ago, there was one distributed ledger, right? There was a a DLT framework. Today, when you look at the Hyperledger Foundation and all the projects, we're going to 16 different projects right now and over 50 labs that we have in our innovation uh, lab uh, area, um, is that there's new technologies that are helping enable whether you want to call it Web3 or something else. So mm-hmm. things like identity that I've talked a bit about, right? Self-sovereign identity mm-hmm. and those core privacy-preserving uh, principles that here at the Hyperledger Foundation and also across the Linux Foundation, for example, we have a project called the Trust Over IP, which yeah. is another organization that's really, you know, got together to talk about the standards and the requirements for us building digital identity on the internet, because we know that it was broken and it continues to be broken in many ways. So identity becomes very important. Interoperability, right? So interoperability uh, means many things to many people, but ultimately, you know, interoperability 10 years ago, people didn't really care about it. Uh, Many people, and you probably, you know, Ray and Vala talked to many of them in the enterprise, thought there was going to be one blockchain to rule them all, right? We all told them. There's not going to be one blockchain to rule them all. Maybe I didn't want a thousand of them, but here we are. But interoperability becomes really important. So 
here we've developed and actually two years ago to this date in 2020 i remember being in a conversation with some of our community members talking about what interoperability across blockchains is needed so when mm. you go across dlt platforms that are widely adopted in the enterprise whether it's hyperledger fabric or r3 corda and these networks need to actually interoperate and talk so we have a project called hyperledger cactus that is looking at not only the permission DLT elements that are required mm. across networks, but also into public blockchains. So supporting things like Cosmos and Polkadot and Hedera. How do we go ahead and actually have these networks become the networks of networks that we've been talking about for seven years? It has to be with core enterprise technology that is built in the open and is also governed openly, right? That anyone can come in and participate and contribute. And we see those contributions coming from everywhere. Go ahead. You guys, have, you guys have done a great job of bringing competitors, people who would normally not be in the space, all together. And I, we really applaud you for that. So. Right. And last but not least, because I know this is something court everybody's uh, mining rig in the uh, in, in their back room, um, is really is, is, is tokenization, right? I mean, yeah. we've been talking about digital assets for a long time. The three of us have been in the room talking, not together. Maybe together, not together, <laughs> talking to those executives at those banks and those financial services for many years who would poo-poo us. And that's a that's a technical term, right? <laughs> and they would be like, you know, no, no, digital assets is not going to work. And it's funny. And I feel here at Hyperledger and Brian Bellendorf, myself, the rest of our leaders in our community have really been educating the market. So now when folks come on your show and when, you know, they're on a big stage talking about, you know, how digital assets is going to transform uh, payments and cross-border payment, you know, like and on and on and on, we know that we've had an influence on that. Um, so from a tokenization perspective, many people don't know this. We have uh, projects that are, um, you know, focused on public blockchain. So, hmm. for example, Hyperledger Bezu. Um, came into the Hyperledger Foundation in 2019, um, and that supports uh, the Ethereum mainnet. It's an Ethereum mainnet client that can be run either as an Ethereum mainnet client or as a private permission network. That community continues to grow, and there's a lot of interest across you know, financial services and bankings. Why? Because it allows for optionality. Right. So if yeah. you have developers who, you know, want to understand blockchain from an enterprise perspective and, you know, want to obviously be interested in what's going on in the Ethereum ecosystem, Hyperledger has been a place from the start. We had EVM implementations in 2017 yeah. and 2018. Yeah. Nobody was like, uh, and now we have Hyperledger Base, and we have many other things that are happening. So tokenization and digital assets. Um, we have a couple of webinars coming up that really talk about how tokens, whether it's ERC tokens or other types of token uh, types, are supported within the Hyperledger community. Um, and I welcome everyone to you know come and take a look because um, you know. We got the experts, we got the tech, um, and awesome. we have the governance model to do it, Sue. Could you please include the link to the webinars when you post your LinkedIn? And that would be great. That's it's terrific. Absolutely. I mean, it's you it's know so what? much information that I think we, all business leaders need to have. On a weekly to. basis, and if you check any of our Hyperledger feeds, we have you know, 10, 20 different presentations worldwide that are talking about these types of technology innovations and what people are working uh, for. And you know, through our meetups, we have meetups of 80,000 individuals worldwide. I mean, one of the things COVID has done very good is 
from a digital perspective, yeah. you guys know this, you know, the show is very popular, <laughs> is expand the global community yeah. in contributing and participating in an ecosystem like Hyperledger, right? You don't ever, you know, you don't longer have to be in a physical place, although I miss missing every. <laughs> we will all get together soon. But Daniela, thank you so much. We're here with Daniela Barbosa, General Manager, Blockchain, Healthcare, and Identity at the Linux Foundation and the Executive Director of the Hyperledger Foundation. Congratulations. You can follow her on Twitter at Daniela Barbosa. And I think that's an underscore. Is that correct? So. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Daniela. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Wow. Wealth of information, thriving community, works with the biggest businesses around the world. Our next guest, Dr. Adam Lowe, Chief Innovation Officer at Arculus. From the government labs in the Defense Department to uh, blockchain technology market, Adam has been on the cutting edge of innovation. Adam created Arculus, that named uh, for the Roman god of safes and strong boxes, a revolutionary crypto security and cold storage wallet solution that provides consumers with digital strong box protected by Ray, not two, but three-factor authentication. As a sought-after expert in technology, Adam has been published in a variety of peer-reviewed journals, authored technical book chapters, and is listed as an inventor, Ray, listen to this, on over 200 patents and patent pending. I have like a handful. Uh, Dr. Law has 200. <laughs> <laughs> you can follow uh, his company, Arculus, on Twitter at thisisarculus, A-R-C-U-L-U-S. Welcome, Adam, to the Shrek TV. Great. Thank you very much for having me. Excited to be here. Thank you, sir. Hey, thanks a lot for having on the show. And of course, having one of these, you know, you can't beat one of these. Uh, I won't tell you what's on here, but uh, lots of fun uh, digital assets. So but let's go back to the beginning. I mean, why why was Arculus created? What's the need for having these cold wallets uh, that I'm carrying with me? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Arculus is parented by our company, uh, Compost Secure. So we've been in payments and, and Daniela gave a great segue for the last 20 years. So similarly, we've seen the need for security. We've seen the need to enable payments, enable remittance. So, you know, really when we created this product, we saw a dire need for people to securely yet easily handle their digital assets and digital identity. So when we created Arculus, we wanted to create a platform that one, uh, used a secure element kind of similar to banking to create that root of trust. So all of your keys and all of your digital identity rely on that root of trust. So there we, we created this easy to use platform that uses 3FA, something you have, your Oculus card, something you know, your PIN, something you are, your biometric, to seamlessly and easily manage your digital assets. So we started with crypto and we have the, the Oculus card that you showed to help consumers secure their crypto, but we also help businesses um, secure digital identity as well. So whether you're starting your journey and doing eKYC or you're managing keys for login through, say, FIDO. Um, you know, at the end of the day, Arculus is a digital asset and digital identity security platform. Th thank you for uh, educating us on the on the on the the three factor uh, three factor uh, uh, authentication. You said it's you know something you are, example like biometric security, something you know, a six digit pin, and something you have, the Arculus card. Can you just educate our, our, our audience in terms of what is the security issue? Um, what should they be worried about if they don't have uh, a cold wallet like your solution? Sure, absolutely. So most people start their crypto journey, consumers, uh, in a hot wallet. So they're on an exchange. You buy your first $5 of Bitcoin or whatever. Um, and it's, that's fine. That's a great place to start your journey. But then you quickly figure out that you don't own your keys and you don't really custody your crypto, right? And we like to say your keys, your crypto. 
you know, mm. in 2021 alone, there was over roughly $10 billion in hacks. So that's- 10 billion problem. with a B. It all started by going to your telecom provider store. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Actually, it did for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, SMS-based MFA has been bypassed on many issues. You know, wow. even if an exchange isn't hacked, many people's individual accounts are hacked. Mm -hmm. SMS, there was a phishing attack last weekend, if, if I'm not mistaken. I don't want to name the vendor, but yeah, exactly. a large number of NFTs that were uh, lost as, as, as a result. Yeah, exactly. So your own is your recovery mechanism. Um, yeah. you, you know, so here we, we really try to coach people that your key is your crypto. So here with a hardware wallet like Arculus, you maintain custody of your private keys, which means you really maintain custody of your digital assets and you can control their destiny, right? Um, for the for the audience out there that's a little less familiar, you know, until you sign that transaction with the, your private key effectively, your crypto is not going anywhere. So with a hardware wallet like Arculus, it's offline, it's passive, you know, there's no data coming in and out. So there's really no way to hack it. Wow. Huge, huge difference. Yeah. And, and we're talking about this, right? I mean, there's massive adoption of cryptocurrency. We're talking about that. We're seeing that live in action, uh, given what's going on out in Ukraine and Russia at the moment. Um, what is this future for digital asset protection and identity authentication? I mean, why is that important? Uh, what are people worried about? I mean, should these be centralized and regulated by a bank or like or will it remain decentralized uh, and, and individually controlled? Yeah, I, I personally think that, you know, the on ramps and off ramps, um, you know, where you're coming from cash into crypto um, or other digital assets is going to be more and more regulated. But I think the independent chains, you know, market forces will sort those out. And I do believe they will, for the most part, remain decentralized um, and independent. There's just strong mass consumer demand for that. And, you know, people really do like this, this modern movement to re recontrol your destiny, recontrol being independent. And, you know, having that increased privacy, right, where it's not this centralized identity management, where everything's tracked and monitored, you know, being able to make your own decisions and act in a peer to peer manner. I think that's really liberating for a lot of people when it comes to their finances. So I, I do believe that a lot of the crypto will remain independent um, as long as it's on chain. And, you know, we're happy to support and secure to whatever standard there is. Um, and we think that's really important. And we think it's really empowering, whether it's Ukraine or other countries around the world. Hmm. Uh, crypto has acted as an immense power to remittance and getting your digital assets where you want it to be. And beyond crypto, you know, people are tokenizing housing deeds, um, hmm. NFTs, you know, anything you can legitimately uh, enforce a digital smart contract to, you, know, you can tokenize. And it's really just been absolutely revolutionary. It, the, the speed, you know, uh, and a hundred million dollar NFT market in 2020, and and the 25 billion dollar NFT market in 2021. You, you see two orders of magnitude growth. Uh, what are there certain assets that you you're monitoring in, in terms of greater adoption? And what's your sense in terms of just the, the future of digital assets? You just mentioned. It seems like if the data is is important and permanent, it's your license, your your diploma, your, you know, maybe healthcare uh, data. I mean, wh wh where do you see this this future of digitization of assets and data and, and, and collectibles and so on and so forth? Yeah, where I see it going is that, you know, just like you trust physical locks to your home in a, mm -hmm. in a padlock or deadbolt, you know, you should trust digital keys to control your digital identity and assets. Mm -hmm. So what I see is if you think about a journey, let's say I have government issued driver's license, passports, et cetera, that's secured through a, a proper KYC and then trustlessly passed to others, right? It's signed with a unique digital signature without actually passing um, the raw document, which is what you kind of have to do today. 
Um, and to Daniel's point, we're, we're developing all of the protocols to do that in a interoperable and seamless way. And that's absolutely fantastic. So if you think about what's the future look like, the future looks like interoperably passing those digital assets and digital identities in a secure key-based way. And hardware wallets like Arculus can allow you to do that securely, both on the ID side, as well as a digital asset side. And I think in the future, we really will have those documents secured and controlled uh, in a publicly viewable yet permissioned way with your identity. And it's, it's a really efficient and amazing future that we have with the blockchain. I have no doubt that, that that's an accurate forecast of the future, given the conversations I have with, you know, various business leaders across various industries. Go ahead, Ray. Yeah, you know, and, and, and if you think about what's going on, I mean, it, the um, I talk to folks that are under the age of 25. Everybody has a digital, digital natives. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've got NFTs. They've got you know, digital assets, some people have apes, I don't know how they got in early on that. Uh, but it's more than that, right? I mean, it's it's going to be like trust your ID, your diploma, your certificates, it's all going to sit there. Um, and, and I think it's going to be one of the most important uh, areas of really how you manage those digital assets at an individual level. But are we at mainstream adoption? When do we get the peak adoption? When does that happen? Is that going to be like in a five years in 10 years and 20 years? What's your forecast on that? Yeah, I think Main Street adoption is really, as many people say, it's really regulatory driven. Um, I think mm -hmm. it, the United States makes it easy to use individual currencies and, and even stable coins. I think that's a great, fantastic on ramp for a lot of people. You know, they see 8% yield, 6% yield on a stable coin and think, oh, that's a lot better than 0.1% at, you know, your bank. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. So, uh, mm -hmm. You know, I really think that, you know, even my parents, have some crypto now and i never thought that would happen <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> uh, probably in part to me but Did you, know, you give that to them as a gift come on yeah <laughs> maybe, maybe but uh you know i i do think that we're going to see more and more mainline adoption you know we work with because of our history some some major financial uh, firms as well as some major retailers and it's coming it's coming sooner than people think but the the, the corollary to that is it's not like the old ways go away right they complement each other they still coexist and you know Traditional payment rails will have a very long tail. Crypto is taking off, but I think will come sooner than other people expect. And there will be a very nice overlap. You know, too many conversations we have act like they're competitive. They're not. They're complementary. Crypto is all about empowerment, freedom, and choice. And we should give consumers all the choices and let market forces settle them. We had Michael Saylor on our show um, a few months ago, um, CEO of MicroStrategy. And I think at the time, it was maybe less than 100 companies that had Bitcoin um, on their balance sheet out of the thousands of publicly traded companies. And obviously, he had a very strong argument in terms of why uh, his company is uh, so bullish um, on, 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 on and Bitcoin, given the you know, 10 plus year history of, of appreciation. Your thoughts in terms of, um, you know, what are you hearing in terms of companies uh, thinking about, you know, again, putting crypto on, on their balance sheet. Yeah, I think, again, it goes to regulatory. I think more companies, if you ask them privately, would say they would be very interested in putting Bitcoin or other digital assets on their balance sheet if it was okay. If someone could definitively say you're not going to get dinged by regulators X, Y, and Z, they would happily diversify their balance sheet with, with some crypto. Um, I think that you will see more and more maybe getting into some one-for-one -one fiat-backed stablecoins. Uh, because of the yield issue, and they can point their auditors to look, it's over collateralized with dollars. How can you possibly yell at me? Um, so I think that that's where you're going to see some more and more on the balance sheet. 
You know, you know, I actually had dinner with a crypto whale last night, and uh, we were exactly talking about that, uh, which is where the regulatory environment was. And uh, his conclusion was that other than Bitcoin, um, you know, there's no CEO, there's no owner, there's nothing out there. Uh, he really believed that, you know, uh, the other the other coins are probably going to get a lot of regulatory overhang, depending on what Gensler decides, uh, yeah. given the fact that there everything mm -hmm. is kind of is it a security is it a bank is it i mean the laws are so i mean probably tens of hundreds of laws are being broken every day it's just not being enforced uh and, and that's actually a pretty interesting scenario if, if that truly is the case uh what's going on and, and it might impact mainstream adoption but let's ask the question about regulation right i mean for you i mean it's great there's all sitting on the wallet everything's protected how much regulation do you think is going to come back into the market and is that going to help adoption or is that going to drive down adoption i think it's going to drive consolidation and, and to your point you know bitcoin is kind of accepted by a, almost every party um and, and even ethereum you can maybe put in that category there's yeah. certainly forks and assets thereof have issues uh you know, I think that regulatory is going to drive a lot of consolidation. I think some of the older altcoins are going to quietly go away. I think certain assets will be classified definitively as securities due to private placement and the other ways they were initially set up uh, for better or for worse. So I think it's uh, it's going to impact adoption on, on and off ramps. And I think it's going to consolidate the industry. I do think that blockchain in general, whether it be Walmart or some other massive conglomerate is going to be continued to be adopted. And uh, we do see some interesting internal implementations uh, at places like that where they use it for either supply chain or something, but also are looking at it from a, a payments perspective. Um, and a lot of things that's very interesting, they're keeping in internal development. So there are more private blockchains at a lot of those places than I would uh, initially have guessed. Yeah, I wish, no. I wish part of my salary could be in Bitcoin. I wish companies could give me the option, <laughs> sign up like 10, 15, 50%, uh, like the athletes that you see in the NFL. He was saying that when Bitcoin was at 30. So he's been consistent the whole time. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, again, I wouldn't mind diversifying my 401k in a, in a, in a way that would allow me to uh, participate some more. Adam, uh, let's assume you're trying to convince my parents, both in their 80s. In fact, today's my dad's birthday. He's 82. <laughs> thank you. To get in, <laughs> thank you. To get into crypto or my daughter, who's 19 at Bentley University, member of the blockchain club. So she's probably already a bit convinced to, to play. How, where do you go to learn about you know, market trends, exciting companies like yourself, Oculus? Like, What events should you put on your radar? Can you give advice like how you stay teachable? And it's not fair. You're a doctor and you've got 200 patents. But how do the average person on ramp into this space and learn more about your company and, and the innovation roadmap that you're trying to bring to market in the next few years? Thank you. You know, I think it's a, it's an interesting almost problem case because there's not, you know, the place to go. There's no book, single book you can buy on this and learn all the things. You know, I think places like Coindesk are fantastic to start. I think if you start entering uh, search terms into your favorite social media platform of choice, it'll start feeding you content. The challenge there is you have to make sure it's correct. Um, and, you know, a lot of people think they know a lot of things that, that may be 80% true. Um, so, you know, there, you know, I would say incrementally learn, you know, start small. And then a lot of places have great knowledge bases, you know, whether it be the Arculus website, um, some other wallets have great knowledge bases as well in academies that you can go learn and incrementally teach yourself. You know, the most important thing is learn what you can do to protect yourself and control your assets. And the, the very start or bottom line there is always control and know your private keys. 
And you ultimately have to just have, like you have to like mint an NFT or, you know, get that $5 Bitcoin and yeah, just try it. Like you said, it's not, there's not a lot of literature that can speak to, especially the speed at which we're looking at things like, yeah. you know, metaverse so, and NFT and tokenization of the internet. You really have to, I, you know, unless you're in like Discord or Twitter spaces or, you know, connected to folks like yourself, it, it's hard to keep up. That's just so happening. Yeah. So how I convince my dad, you're asking, how do you convince an older person about crypto? Is I said two things. Well, one, dad, how, how much do you think the dollar, total dollars printed increased last year? Oh my God. He had no idea. And I said, well, imagine you could have a currency that could never inflate. There's, there's a set amount of it and it never inflates. He said, oh yeah, I, I see that. And then the currency can't devalue. I said, that's, yeah, that's awesome. Now imagine you could instantly send that currency anywhere in the world to anyone you want without anyone getting in your way. Yeah, I see the utility in that. And that's really it. Inflation and utility. And I had my 75-year-old dad sold. Dr. Lowe, you need to do a 30-second commercial. What you just said <laughs> in 30 seconds should be, I mean, please put that on Twitter and I'll retweet it to my 600,000 followers all day, all night. That was perfect. That was such <laughs> what a- What do you have to do a Super Bowl ad? I mean, you only yeah, have to- Yeah, yeah, really. Like- <laughs> With some famous Hollywood person, you yeah, get- Why isn't common sense so common? <laughs> Wow, that was terrific. Wow, that was, that was spot on. Good, sorry, Ray. Yeah. No, no, no. Hey, let's jump in. Hey, what events are you going to? Just to give folks the idea of what's coming up, what's hot, uh, you know, where are you going to be at? I mean, are you going to be at Consensus, for example? Um, sure. Like- uh, before Consensus, we're going to be at the Bitcoin conference in Miami. Uh, or, yeah. yeah. So I think Mayor a lot Suarez of us are going to be in team. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're also happy to announce that every participant will get an Arculus card as part of their welcome package. So the Bitcoin conference was excited enough about Arculus to partner with us and everybody will get their Arculus card. What? I thought this was special. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't have mine, so I'm going. I got to go to that conference. This is you great. can uh, wow. you can get the special whale pass if you show up with your with your whale assets of uh, He's a whale. Yeah, don't I'm don't. Not the whale. I'm not the whale. But uh but hey, thank you so much for being on the show. I remember having a great uh, breakfast with you. We're here with Dr. Adam Lowe, Chief Innovation Officer at Arculus. Thank you for coming. You can follow the company Twitter at This Is Arculus. And uh, more importantly, hope to see you around at the Bitcoin conference and of course, consensus. So Great. take care. Thank you, Adam. Thank you. Wow. wow. What, a, what, a, what, a, what a pioneer. And those security uh, issues that you mentioned are, re- are real. So if you're investing in this space, at, you know, at even at 40K for one Bitcoin, I mean, you really got to make sure you can protect your assets. Um, now, we're greatly uh, honored to have Michael Betchel, future Chief Futurist at Deloitte. As Chief Futurist with Deloitte, Mike helps clients develop strategies to thrive in the face of discontinuity and disruption, which is exactly now. The novel and exponential technology is most likely to impact the future of business and builds relationships with startups, incumbents, and academic institutions creating them. Prior to joining Deloitte, Mike led Ringleader Ventures as an early stage venture capital firm he co-founded in 2013. Before Ringleader, Mike served as CTO of Start Early, a national nonprofit focused on early childhood education for at-risk youth. Mike currently serves as professor of corporate innovation at University of Notre Dame. You can follow Mike uh, on Twitter at Mike Betchel, B-E-C-H-T-E-L. Welcome, Mike, to Disrupt TV. Thanks a lot for having me, Vala, and thanks, Ray. It's it's been it's been as fun listening to the two prior guests as it will be to t- talk with both of you. What a great what a great uh, one two punch. 
Thank you, sir. <laughs> hey, you know, there's a theme going on in this show. We we have a great producer. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've been we've been we've been reading the Deloitte Tech Trends 2022, and of course, you know, you've put out a blockchain study um, in 2021. Um, so we've been talking about adoption and really the speed of adoption, and things are happening. I mean, from financial applications and other areas. How is it being applied? What are use cases you never thought would happen? And of course, what are the use cases that are gaining traction? You know, Ray, it, it, it's interesting in the enterprise space because, you know, pick pick your cliche, but it can be hard to turn aircraft carriers, right? Established mm -hmm. organizations are in the business of, you know, looking at exciting new sources of growth, but they don't want to mess up their existing cash cows, right? And mm -hmm. and so there's this there's this dichotomy because all the energy we've heard for the last 40 minutes around how real and how visceral and how the future is now with blockchain is sort of offset by a certain amount of skepticism, right? You've still got leading decision makers who, you know, think back to seven years ago, right? Dark actors on the dark web buying dark substances. And that doesn't always feel enterprise grade, right? It, I think no. it's very easy for, for a traditional CIO to say, ah, oh, what else you got? Well, you kind of marry that up with the last, eh, as you said, right? 20 million or what was it? A hundred, hundred million in NFTs in 2020, uh, 25 billion in 2021. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of froth right now. And so for a CIO to ma match those two up, what we've kind of seen is Deloitte, A, that given that we're enterprise face facing, B, we're global, right? And C, we're cross sector, is that we're... We're certainly not with the party poopers and we're probably one step to the left of the party goers yeah. with respect to the use cases and the excitement as it relates to blockchain and the enterprise. To answer your question, here's what we're seeing. Here's where we're seeing some of the examples popping up that we might not have expected. I'm in a discussion with the chief technologist at Chow Tai Fook, which is a jewelry company out of Hong Kong. And you yeah. know, it's silly o'clock at night. For me, it's silly o'clock in the morning for him. And we sit down to start talking about, we'd heard they were using blockchain. And the first thing he told me, which I thought was really instructive, he said, listen, the reason this is an interesting blockchain enterprise use case isn't because it's blockchain, right? Let's hold the hammer to the back of the story. Let's talk about the nail, the problem that he had to solve. And the problem that he was out to solve was really interesting. He said, listen, we've got less than fair trade unethically sourced, pardon the expression, blood diamonds being put into the market on the left side. On the right side, we've got lab-made synthetic diamonds. Now, re re regardless of your sort of uh, point of view on all this, you can imagine that puts an ethically sourced diamond miner and cutter in a pickle because they're, they're in the middle of a squish. So he said, we needed to figure out a way to show to our customer base that what we had was A, real, meaning mined, and B, ethically sourced. And what occurred to them was the web 1.0 answer was, well, we'll tell the market, we'll put it on our website that we're the real deal. <laughs> the, the web 2.0 answer would be like, I don't know, you know, what does, what does Yelp say about us? Like what do others say about us? The web three answer is what does the chain say? Right? Right. <laughs> None of us is as trustworthy as all of us. That's hmm. what we've come to learn is that you know, sort of the, the Nebeshi enterprise articulation for blockchain is 
if you've got to do business process reengineering across organizational boundaries, it smells like blockchain. And so they got in cahoots with the GIA, uh, the Gemological Institute of America, and they said, hey, what if we jointly write to a chain, color, clarity, carrot, and cut? Wow. Yeah. And what was cool was that as the stone comes off the line, they laser engrave a serial. And I said, wow. is it numbers or is it QR code? They're like, there's numbers. But they put the numbers on the stone. And then they write it to a jointly maintained public chain. Why? Wow. Because, and here's the part I love. I get geek goosebumps from this. <laughs> your, your son or daughter could ask the strip mauler in 2042, what's that stone? But your great-great-grandson, right? Do they want to trust the 22nd century version of a strip mall jeweler? No. Ask the chain, right? And suddenly abstractions like the word immutable that like cause the eyes to glaze over and people to hang up suddenly like, Oh no, I get it. Right. Much like Adam was talking about like, Hey dad, inflation proof utility. Suddenly you're like, Hey grandma, the stone carries the data with it and we can trust the man. But I trusted the guy on 47th street in Midtown. What do you mean? <laughs> oh my God. Diamond Alley. Yeah. The yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not here to besmirch jewelers. I'm just saying, you know, yeah, you know a little bit. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. I, I, I get I get uh, nerd goosebumps when I read your Deloitte Trends report for 2022 uh, because you know it, first of all it's all encompassing. Uh, data sharing made easy was a category. Cloud goes viral as a cloud company. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> blockchain yeah. blockchain ready for business. IT disrupting uh, itself with hyper automation at scale. Yeah. Cyber AI. Talk about top of mind right now as we speak based on global events yeah. how cyber ai is real defense and the tech stack goes physical so you've got all these dimensions of, of trends with real momentum in business including blockchain but then you follow up with a field note of the future where you introduce us to quantum computing exponential intelligence and ambient computing ray's favorite word ambient and i sit there <laughs> as a technologist working at one of the most innovative companies in the world sorry about the humble brag um, <laughs> And I've earned it. You're good. I think how do enterprise leaders, how does a CIO, chief digital, chief information, chief technology, chief experience, how do these line of business leaders read the Deloitte report? Like, where do they start? Because everything you mentioned in the report, in my humble opinion, is absolutely, I would say, must have on your radar. And in many cases, you better actually have it deployed or ready to be deployed. So yeah. what advice do you give to line of business leaders who read your report and, 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 and want to start in a meaningful way? Vala, I tell you, it, it, well, first of all, thank you kindly for, 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 for reading, skimming, validating. It, it's, all, it's all much valued. Your field notes was excellent because oh. some of these things may be only twinkle in you know, business eye, but very quickly. In fact, it's funny. One of them actually spoke about the eye and the importance yep. of eye. So I said, no pun intended when I said twinkle in the eye, uh, with like smart contact lenses, right? Yeah. You know, as an example, but, but sorry, I didn't mean to. Draw. No, no, Vali. no, I, Hey, listen, now, now it's like recursive geek goosebumps. goosebumps all the way down. But, but here, here's the thing, brother. Um, when you're in the business of studying newfangledness for 25 years, you start to see trends within the trends right? Sure. You, you see patterns within patterns. And, you know, it, it, as a futurist,
right? And Ray, I'm, I'm sure you, you, you see this as well in your work, you know, beware the people who predict a single future mm. because like Babe Ruth calling a shot, if it happens, you're a hero, yeah. but eventually you're wrong. And then you're, you're, you're a zero. Yeah. And yep. so we're in the business of projecting multiple futures. Mm. And, and, and that is to say, it's less about the game of gotcha. It's more about illustrating the art of the plausible, the possible, the probable, right? Now, that said, to answer your question, where, where do we start and where do we recommend our clients start? One of the most overused tropes in, in our line of work, right? Good old William Gibson, 1980-something neuromancer. The here, unevenly distributed. <laughs> yeah. Here's yeah. here, it's unevenly distributed. Yeah. Here's why that matters. Yeah. When I sit down with any given client, I can see them playing that game of bingo with our tech trends work saying, we've got this one, we've got this one. Oh my gosh, we're behind on this one. And it's not about, it's not about above the water, below the water. It's about, are you trending in the right direction? Hmm. And so for us, we don't see a lot of this, even gasp. And I don't want to ruin the mojo from today's, you know, discussion on blockchain, but we don't often see revolutions. We, we tend to, you know, with the 13 year lens, you tend to see evolution. Sure. And so, for example, if there are people, you know, watching this show that are just like, man, I gotta get on that web three train. I gotta get on that NFT. My, train. What a FOMO, like my Twitter feed, all these oh. VCs, all this capital going through thrown at the tokenization of internet. And, and you, if, if, if you're not in the game, you're reading this thinking, my goodness, I'm completely missing out on this reinvention of the web. And, you know, <laughs> and, and Vala, FOMO does not business strategy make because FOMO oh led to pets.com, right? And, and in, in, in web, you know, there's lessons in our past, right? And so when you look at the winning models from web one and web two, they knew enough to lead with need. Like Chow Tai Fook, they had an itch in need of scratching yeah, totally. for which, right, web one, web two, blockchain was the answer. And so to your point, you know, I would say, Knowing that a move to distribute and to decentralized presumes that you're already up on cloud, get busy completing your cloud migration and your oh. multi-cloud and your hybrid, you know, because that's hygiene. That's, to quote the philosopher Pink Floyd, you can't have your pudding until you eat your meat, right? <laughs> and so whatever you're doing today is useful table stakes for tomorrow. And don't get busy with worried about FOMO because you have to nurture the now to to enable the next. It's that simple. Same with AI. That. I've got clients that. who are worried about AI and cognitive automation. And I say, finish the data warehousing project. Yeah. <laughs> Get your data, right? Get yeah. your data mesh totally. in order and then move the whole thing into a cloud native data store. And then we can start talking TensorFlow, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Bravo. Yeah, and then think about building a lake house and PyTorch if you want. But um, but yeah. <laughs> Hey, related to that, I mean, since we're all geeking out today, I want the NFT for that sock puppet <laughs> that we're talking about for the 2000s. Yeah, yeah that would be something. <laughs> so related to that, right? I mean, I do, I do want to go back to your tech trends. I know we're going to talk about something else, but the one yeah. I really like is physical assets, right? Coming back to mm. um, the call there, uh, the look up really wet. The tech stack goes physical. That's what it was. Yeah. I mean, yeah. what did mean by that because we're going digital and you just say the tech stack is going physical for sure for sure ray it it's um it's it wasn't meant to be contrarian 
right? Because you can imagine we we sort of you know send to print right in time for the world to like lose its mind over over the the artist currently known as Metaverse, but but but, but here here's here's the, the May twenty second Davos. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the scoop. Here's the scoop. Really, it's it's that you know back to you know futurists are secretly historians, right? And and it helps to be you know part geek and part geezer. And I'm you know I'm I'm turning into both. But one of the things that I've seen in my 20 years serving on the board of, um, of my university's IT management program, right, is that with every passing year for most of the last 20, fewer and fewer students would choose to major in technology management. Hmm. Why? Because they were subtly or explicitly told, you know, a lot of that's going to be outsourced, maybe offshored, but data. Data, 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 pixels, bits, data. It's as though the I in IT got bigger and bigger and bigger, and the T got littler and littler and littler. <laughs> yeah. What we're starting to see, and this this gets even geekier, but you bear with me, fellas. As screens, right? As as the computing modality has moved some from something this size to something this size to something this size. Wow. The one thing we know won't happen is an even littler rectangle, right? <laughs> and so where's it going? Well, it's going two places. One is metaverse, right? AR, VR, even more immersive, up to, uh, Vala, your point, not just smart glasses, but smart contacts. That stuff yeah. will come, for yeah. sure. But the other part is that user interfaces are getting more physical. The idea of building a user interface with atoms instead of bits and pixels well, what does that mean? It means physical robotics. Hmm. It means drones. It means literally, true story, um, major restaurant chains you've heard of installing French fry making robots. <laughs> and so what does that mean? It means that organizations who for a generation have waved off blue screen of death because it, you know, it's not going to hurt anybody, uh, a, a blue, sky, blue sky of falling things will. Yeah. And so a focus on technology talent recognizing that a world of atoms needs a little more governance and a little more looking after than a world of pixels and pure bits. Yeah, absolutely. Last time I was at CES, I had delicious pizza made by a robot, which uh, which, wow. was, which was which was interesting. And you talk about being a historian. You, you recall Ray asking Daniela about tipping point and when we get there. You know, when I think about the internet, uh, you know, TCP/IP. We had Vince Cerf on our show. You know, Godfather yeah. of the oh, internet, wow. TCP/IP was an accelerant, uh, HTTP for the web. Uh, will there be a need for governance and standards to see metaverse of metaverse or ecosystems of metaverse where my avatar can jump from one metaverse to another? And because there will be many, where do you see, like, where, what will have to take place in order for us to hit a tipping point like we did with the internet and the web for technologies like web three and metaverse? Vala, you know, from, you know, from one, you know, evangelist and innovator to another two, and and I at our two prior guests, right? It's easy to feel like the introduction of the word governance can be a a, a bummer, like. But you don't get goosebumps when you hear that word. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a goosebump killer. <laughs> unless but, it's unless Pink Floyd said it. You know, <laughs> I mean, in which case, what's not to like? But, <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing. Innovation loves constraints. Right. If you tell somebody, remember that scene from The Incredibles when he's like, what are you waiting for, kid? He goes, something amazing. <laughs> like, what do you do with that? 
right? But if I give you uh, if I give you rules and a, a and a whiteboard and three markers and say draw me some draw me a, the best pigeon you can, you'll you'll probably get something amazing. So here's where I'm going with this. I think these emerging technologies benefit from two things. One is open standards, right? The internet took yeah, off like sure. a rocket because there was some open plumbing underneath that allowed for righteous capitalism on top. Sure. Okay. Two is the recognition that a, a little governance is helpful. It's a constraint that liberates people. We want rules in our games, right? Yeah. Remember the, the, you know, the XFL, <laughs> right? It, it, it wasn't maybe what we hoped in part, right? Because, because of the relaxation of core governance precepts. So I think this stuff matters. A little bit of open on the bottom and a little bit of governance on top. That's where business and innovation you thrives. You need to have your own podcast. In 10 minutes, from Pink Floyd to The Incredibles to XFL, I have no idea where this conversation is going to go next, but it's very entertaining. That's, <laughs> yeah, you're you're spot on. I totally agree with, with standards and governance, and I just can't believe you mixed those three uh, topics in, in your response. That's pretty awesome. Go ahead, Ray. Sorry. We're, now, we're here with Deloitte Consulting's Chief Futurist, Mike Bechtel. I am alumni. I will let you know that now. Um, you can at Mike Bechtel. Thank you so much for being on the show. Terrific. See you in real life soon. So thanks yeah. for being here. Thank you, Mike. Thanks. thanks. Wow. He really needs to have his own podcast. I mean, maybe he has it and I don't know, but what an entertaining futurist. With Kanye. I forgot what that was. I was like, it was looking on their website, but yeah. I so. was waiting for him to like bring the Pope into the conversation and maybe, <laughs> I don't know, the French Revolution. I don't know. He was, he was awesome. Uh, wow. All three guests, Ray. The Hyperledger Foundation, Linux Foundation, is an unbelievable community producing incredible content that's available to folks for free. And you really get to understand how enterprise big problems are being tackled with you know, scalable framework, with security and, and availability and affordability and all of those important criteria baked into the solutions. Uh, cold wallets, I mean, you and I, we know a few whales in this space. Nobody uh you know puts their stuff in the cloud I mean, when you, you get to a point where you are you know you're a real player and what oculus is doing um is oculus is doing is is is, is becomes a, an absolute necessity and of course uh, mike just really took us uh, definitely read the deloitte uh tech trends report but also read uh you know the 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 field notes uh, that Mike authored, which not only talked about the six or seven trends, but he also, again, mentioned quantum, exponential, and ambient in a really compelling, very concise, relevant manner. So like yourself, he's a futurist that, you know, speaks to and collects data that, that should be on every business leader's desk um, or notepad or <laughs> desk. I'm making it sound analog. Ray, your, your closing thoughts on, uh, on, on this week's uh, Disrupt TV. Yeah, I mean, no, we've been talking about the metaverse economy. This is happening. Uh, there are some basic building blocks, and it's been great to actually uh, follow the progress of industry groups like, you know, the you know, Hyperledger Foundation. I mean, this has truly been uh, important in terms of getting things to where we are. And uh, I agree with you. I mean, uh, all these innovations that are happening right now, uh, I mean, from these cold wallets to what's going on uh, with blockchain and, and future technologies, I mean, they're happening now. Um, it's not just our early adopters. And it's happening, you know, with, with you know, folks in college. Like, they're all building NFTs. People in high school. <laughs> 
building NFTs. I'm like, okay, this is cool, right? But it's starting there and, and we're gonna see broader adoption and this larger theme of decentralization is gonna continue to be here. It's one of the things that Dion Hinchcliffe on our team has been talking about. But hey, who do we have next, next week? And we have a special guest that might show up that's not listed here, so. Yeah, we'll, we'll leave that for next week's announcement. Uh, episode 270 next week, we have Edo Siegel, Chief Executive Officer and Founder of TouchCast. And we have another great futurist, uh, Brian Fanzo, who's a digital uh, futurist keynote speaker, who's actually been minting NFTs per day. Um, his goal is to mint 365 NFTs this year. And so he's going to give us a sense of what's happening there and tools and, and, and knowledge bases and communities that uh, folks should look into if they're uh, interested in this space. And a, and a special guest yet to be named. Ray, if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you, everyone, for watching, and uh, hope to uh, tune in uh, with you next week. Happy Friday, everyone. Cheers.